Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. Portsmouth, New Hampshire at Strawberry Bank, and joining us today is Kimberly Alexander, Chief Curator. How are you, Kimberly? I'm very well, Martin. Thank you for coming out and visiting us on such a rainy day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. And Strawberry Bank, I grew up around here, and it's funny, you grow up in a place and sometimes you don't go to the places you grew up around. And I did come here occasionally or every once in a while, but it's really quite beautiful. And why don't you Describe to our listeners exactly what Strawberry Bank is. Strawberry Bank is very... Well, first of all, your story is one that we hear a lot. Uh, People come Mm -hmm. here often for their third or fourth grade uh, school field trip, and then they don't come back until they're bringing their own kids uh, Mm -hmm. for their field trip. Uh, Right now, what we're doing at Strawberry Bank and have been doing for a number of years is really trying to work on changing that one-time, one-lifetime, or one-generation visit Uh, If you come to Strawberry Bank today, the first thing you will see are uh, beautifully landscaped grounds. It's a 10-acre site with 35 historic buildings. All of them are on the original site except two, which makes us quite unique. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have beautiful uh, historic landscapes and gardens for teaching and also for actually harvesting and using and orchards. It's quite a quite an oasis in the middle of a small city. We're right on the, uh, the Piscataqua River mm-hmm. uh, tidal, and uh, right Maine is a stone's throw away. Yeah. Uh, it's a fabulous location. The housing stock is beautiful. Our houses cover the time period from uh, 1695. Uh, that's your earliest home? That's our earliest home. Mm-hmm. So we have a first period house right here on the, on the grounds. Uh, right near what was traditionally the sort of known as the trading post. And it's always interesting to think about Portsmouth in relationship to other maritime communities because rather than in New England, rather than being focused around religion and a church green or common, Portsmouth was about commerce, hmm. um, about merchant, merchant, merchant endeavors and mercantile happenings. Um, because it's first started as a trading post for trading uh, skins and furs, uh, fish, salt, later timber. Um, so the, the whole center of the town was really built around the, the trading post, the trading area, and a commercial activity uh, around the wharves and the waterfront, quite naturally. The Sherburn House of 1695, which was then expanded in the uh, early 1700s, about 1702, 1704, is a, a perfect example of what our early founders and colonists would have, have lived in um, and felt quite comfortable in, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, um, of, of society and fashion, bringing their ideas from, of course, uh, their home country and then adapting them to the needs of the new world. We go from there right through the, the Georgian and federal periods of architecture, up through really the 1950s. Um, really? Yes. Wow. Yes. So you get a whole taste of <laughs> of, Amer- of of American life in this 10-acre site. It's really quite special that way. We're not 
we don't focus on one specific time period. Rather, we like to show the idea of an evolving American lifestyle, really how we became Americans from the earliest settlement um, through, through today. One of our most heartwarming and exciting uh, projects here at Strawberry Bank is every year we have a huge 4th of July celebration, which includes a naturalization ceremony for, really? for new immigrants. How about that? I never knew that. It's, wow. it's, it's amazing. Now, um, who founded, how did the museum begin? Who founded the museum? Oh, Martin, that is one of those long stories, like so many, so many things. But we got um, time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Strawberry Bank was founded by actually a, a very uh, uh, strong and very forward-minded group who saw that the uh, areas around Portsmouth were really changing dramatically, and that history is going to be lost. It's it's sort of a nascent or proto-preservation movement, somewhere between the colonial revival idea of the early 20th century of just saving homes because they belong to certain people, to the understanding that a more everyday life was a a central part to what we were all familiar with. Um, In the 1950s, Dorothy Vaughn and others banded together. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and started thinking about what this idea of Strawberry Bank would be. So 1950s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just recently celebrated our 50th anniversary. So we've been around for half a century now. So we've made the the uh, the history uh, marker, which is 50 years. Um, <laughs> it uh, over time um, by the the early 1960s started to take a, a really what by today's standards, you would consider a very radical transformation. Um, In 1963, again, this very forward-minded group of individuals and, uh, and in fact, early staff members, uh, one of whom was uh, James L. Garvin, who is uh, the um, head of the Division of Cultural Resource Management for the state now, joined Strawberry Bank as the second paid employee in, in 1963. And it's through efforts of Jim Garvin and Richard Candy and just scores and scores of others who really believed in the building fabric and the stories that the buildings told that Strawberry Bank was used as an example um, in facing federal urban renewal of why preservation should be part of the project, not just wholesale demolition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the preservation story in this country is also very closely linked to the success and survival of Strawberry Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, the legislation that went on uh, actually led to Lyndon Johnson's signature of the Historic Preservation Act of 1966. So mm-hmm. for the first time, there was money available for people who wanted to restore or maintain older homes rather than simply have them demolished. So is that part of the funding for revamping a lot of these buildings? No. No, no, no. Um, I mean, like any other museum, we we apply for funds, but mm-hmm. uh, but but it was more of a it was much more of a, it was a proactive. Um, uh, it's really a wonderful carry out of, of '60s idealism into very practical realities for saving the environment. Mm-hmm. It has transformed tremendously since that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we all now know about preservation or restoration or rehabilitation. They all mean very different things, but those would not have been common 
common words to be throwing around in the 1960s, Mm -hmm. uh, certainly not in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And urban renewal, new building, that was good building in people's eyes. You were actually being counter, uh, if you think about it, it was, people today, when I use the word, this is in a lot of ways a counter, uh, countercultural revolution in a way, because it wasn't the traditional way of looking at things. People said, faced uh, the, the, the local government entities and said, wait, these are buildings that belong to this community. They've been lived in their homes. Now we think they should continue to at least be open to the public and not um, torn down and raised to the ground. They're very famous examples of the Old West End, Scully Square in Boston is still one of the most poignant examples of urban renewal destroying entire neighborhoods that mm-hmm. were lived in and uh, uh, displacing people and over time. So this had a very different um, end. Now, not that it ended up being used primarily for housing, although Starwood Bank has returned parts of some of its buildings to uh, uh, rental or even um, commercial use on a modest scale. So there's a sense of community. But the ability to be able to see how people lived in houses over a 400-year time span and connect with their history and connect with the past through the buildings is what this site offers. And it's thanks to those, again, those early planners that uh, that we have what we have today to use and celebrate and share. So you said there's, did I hear you say there's 35 buildings? There are now 35 buildings on mm-hmm. the site. And that includes outbuildings or smaller buildings and sheds. What, what's the building where this beautiful home, I think that's like pocket shutters in the wall. Beautiful home we're in right now. We're all alone well, in this home. Yes, this is this is the Walsh house. This is the a Walsh lovely, house. lovely house. Um, uh, sea Captain's house, as so many of mm-hmm. them were. The Maritime story here is, I mean, yes. I mean, Martin, I, you know, you just are going to have to tell me when to stop because there's so much <laughs> to talk about. We, we are, we are truly blessed in the, in the museum world in that we don't have to try and embellish stories or find stories to tell. Mm-hmm. For us, it's a matter of which one because they're so rich. Um, every one of our houses tells multiple stories because of the different families that live there. Mm-hmm. So the house we're in, uh, Walsh House, um, has a very strong connection to the maritime trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain Walsh and his son, and we know something about his voyages and what he brought back. Um, uh, we know at the Wheelwright House, which is a 1785 house that we use for our hearth cooking demonstrations. We actually do cooking on an open hearth with our um, fabulous, fabulous hearth cooks, period era, era cooking and uh, goods and supplies, utensils, the whole thing. Another sea captain's house. Um, uh, and they're not always happy stories. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's Salem, Newburyport, Portsmouth, men died at sea. You end yes. up with a lot of widows in this area. And so we talk about the sea captains and the merchants. And we also talk about the lives of the women who were left behind. Hmm. Um, that's another one of our, our themes. So maritime uh, uh, history and culture, and um, as well as the uh, the involvement of, of women, children, um, new immigrants throughout the centuries, are all woven into what you'll be able to experience here at Strawberry Bank. Hmm. So that leads me into this question. Let's talk yes. about bordellos. 
Oh, you had to ask. I know there was one around. Uh, they were because cro- I grew up in this area. They were across the street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's a it's a merchant town. It's a yeah. You know, it's a port. It's a That's port, the, and you know what? And a lot of the houses had um, uh, uh, shops that not only sold goods but would sell distilled liquors. Um, mm-hmm. The Chase House, one of our uh, fabulous Georgian Portsmouth homes. Uh, we just recently were uh, sent a liquor license um, from the 1780s, where Captain uh, or uh, Chase, Mr. Chase was given the right to sell distilled foreign um, liquors mm-hmm. in his house. And during the restoration process, there had been evidence that a store had existed in this one very in the one in one corner of the house, which would have been right at the crossroads of two major streets. Hmm. And what was he selling? Well, he was selling the distilled spirits that he was bringing back on his ships from hmm. Barbados and other ports of call. So it was all really quite convenient. So you're always going to have taverns. We have two taverns on this site. We have Pitt oh, Tavern. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yep. Pitt name, I know. Yep. yep. And Stilly's Tavern. And the, the history of those two buildings alone is fascinating. Stilly's Tavern is one of the two buildings that was moved to the site in order to escape demolition elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stilly's is uh, very well known for the place, uh, well, not very well known, it's actually little known, that one of Paul Revere's other rides was to Portsmouth oh. to warn the local committee on safety about the, uh, the condition of the munitions at Fort William and Mary. Paul Revere Road in an early December ice storm over 60 miles non-stop. Black ice and everything. Everything. Wow. Unseasonably cold, incredibly mm. dangerous, dark, on his horse. Joe rode up here. It's a little known story. You never this hear is about. The, this is the yeah. other, that's what I like to call it, the other Paul Revere's ride. Yeah. And it was to Portsmouth. Huh. Um, and he met with the uh, head of the Committee on Safety uh, here, or one of the members here in Portsmouth, Samuel Cutts. Mm-hmm. Cutts Island. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. And, and, and warned him. Uh, and then we had the fracas over at the uh, at the uh, the fort, and that's definitely a story for another day. But but one of the um, fabulous items that we have in the collection is one of Sam Cutts's suits. Oh, really? Wow! Worn just uh, after this event. Mm-hmm. So we have the ability to talk about an event that nobody knows very much about, and then show an item of clothing yeah. that was actually worn by Sam Cutts. Isn't that nice? That's great. Okay. At the other end of the spectrum, we have Pitt Tavern. Um, And we know that when George Washington did his, I like to call it his Let's Keep America Together tour um, uh, in 1789, Mm -hmm. uh, he really did dine here in Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. He really did visit a number of the families. And we actually have in our collection a wine glass that he drank from. Wow. And it went down in the family, uh, and the next, and it was uh, used by George Washington during his Portsmouth visit. And the next time anyone had a drink from the glass was Robert Todd Lincoln in really? 1889 huh. to celebrate what was then called Century Day. Wow, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I was in uh, York, Maine, and I'm not sure if this piece originated there, but a woman claimed she should have. Queen Anne card table, and she claimed that um, her ancestor in George Washington played cards on that table when he was at his visit. Of course, 
you know, you, you hear many, many stories. Yeah. It's really hard to say what's... Well, it is, but the more I hear, there's some that you go, hmm, and there are a lot that really don't surprise you so much. And actually, that mm-hmm. one wouldn't surprise me because mm-hmm. we have... We have a number of interesting connected stories, both with uh, Washington, with Jefferson. Oh, and of course, well, John Adams is very famous because he came to Portsmouth. All he could do is complain about the food and how bad it was. So, so um, it's yeah, changed. It's, it's good food now. <laughs> now it's a wonderful yeah, place. It's great. This is the terrific food destination. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, uh, Jefferson, of course, uh, wrote um, anonymous note to Governor John Langdon after one of the uh, severe Portsmouth fires with a mm. small personal contribution to help uh, the inhabitants of, of the city of Portsmouth. Yeah. And we have a number of, of letters from, uh, from the presidents. So this is uh, part of collections? Mm-hmm. So it let's is. talk about collections. Uh, I remember when I was the first generation <laughs> coming in young, uh, I remember beautiful furniture. But see, you're back. I'm this back. is good. I finally made it back. <laughs> <took> a podcast. <laughs> and uh, I used to have an art gallery right around the corner. Yeah. Oh, right? wonderful. Yeah. Uh, right on State Street. And um, But anyway, let's talk about the collections. So sure. I remember there's some beautiful, beautiful furniture. Do you know if any of the pieces are original with any of the houses? Is that, is that ever... We actually have a very few pieces that were original to the houses. But... Yeah. But you do have Portsmouth. But we have... So we have a phenomenally beautiful, very important, historically significant collection of Portsmouth furniture. Yes, you do. Yes. And although the Chase House I go back to, uh, because the Chases had, uh, a, a, of course, very lovely uh, Portsmouth furniture, but a number of the pieces that we have were um, uh, uh, either through purchase or through gift, particularly from Northeast Auctions and Ron Bergeau, mm-hmm. of Wendell Pieces. Um, so a family very similar to the Chases, and they owned much of the same identical things. We were able to furnish a, a house like the Chase House um, because we used the inventories from the death of uh, Stephen Chase and then oh. his wife a few years later. Wow. And one of the fascinating things, this is a, a bit of an aside, but not completely, about being at Strawberry Bank, one of the things that, that I love about being here. Uh, the opportunities it provides uh, is years ago before I arrived the house was refurnished according to the inventory so a very authentic Mm -hmm. uh, furnishing plan based on the death inventory so basically when somebody died and the estate would come around and uh, list all the items Mm -hmm. that's not always accurate because of course if you knew there was going to be a a tax on your estate or anything like that what would you do you might you'd give away some of your things Still done today. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But what the what changes is if someone dies unexpect, unexpectedly, like mm-hmm. in C, and that's when you often get the inventories that include everything, including the you know the the pocket watches, the high end brasses, the high end um, linens and uh, mm-hmm. bed hangings, which were textiles mm-hmm. were among the most expensive items. Yeah. Um, so inventories can be somewhat up and down, but the the uh, Chase inventories were the guide for furnishing the house. Plus, we know a lot about what people were using during that time period, and it's we're furnishing it at the, uh, really at the um, uh, 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 late 1700s time okay, period. Okay, let's let's talk just a little bit about yeah. uh, Portsmouth for the mm-hmm. listeners. Portsmouth furniture. Sure, I'm sorry. Is one yeah. no? I mean, I, I think it's beautiful, and there's been there's so many noted 
cabinet makers. And Portsmouth right. Furniture is regarded as it's right up there with uh, Boston, with, with and, Boston New York. And, and New York and, and, mm-hmm. New, and Newport. Yeah, um, Newport. There were uh-huh. there were several very strong and again predominantly seacoast uh, towns that excelled mm-hmm. in. Just you beautiful mahogany's, from the mahogany's uh, veneers C-trade. of mm-hmm. all different sorts, yeah. um, and using the veneers in ways that just signified an, an, a matchless uh, yeah. craftsmanship. Yeah. And uh, one of the other the examples I'd like to cite too is, of course, in Salem, where you have someone like a Samuel McIntyre, who's an mm-hmm. architect, but also will work on on uh, furniture items at a mm-hmm. very very high level. Um, so highly collectible, but just visually beautiful yes. pieces of wood. Uh, the veneers, but it's even more than that. I think um, it's the proportion of the pieces. Mm-hmm. It's the understanding of the proportion from um, a, a case to its base to the legs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or the way the legs, if it's a Queen Anne piece, how they're turned or. If they have a pad foot, or if it's a straight leg, or so on and so on, there are all these details that I think often you don't have a chance to take in today. Mm-hmm. And when you're put into a setting of an historic house, things appear to you very differently. And sometimes you can't always put your finger on it. What makes it different? Yeah. So it, it's the craftsmanship, it's the materials, but it's also the proportion. Um, and there's often a very strong architectural sense about these things, which is matched in the houses. We're sitting in a room that has uh, wonderful uh, uh, detail around dental the windows, molding dental molding. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the paneled doors, these deeply yes. inset panels, or the fireplace with its beautiful circular mm-hmm. surrounds and sort of uh, neoclassical motifs. You find the same in the furniture. There's an aesthetic mm-hmm. that goes on in the Georgian and then late Georgian through the federal period especially. Um, and the federal period is often known as the Adam style where things become even longer and more attenuated and more graceful. Um, and and, and, and th- that is the time period that we're really talking about in the type of furniture. Yeah. So if we have several houses where that is the one of the key elements to the the display. But again, it changes depending on the import, what was significant in that era to those who were living in the house. So um, that's one of, again, one of the beauties that we get, that we have to work with. If you go to our Drisco house from the 1950s, you'll, you'll, for many people, it's like a, a coming home day, you know. <laughs> the Brady Bunch? Yeah, well, or uh, even <laughs> or earlier, earlier yeah. Uh, yeah. actually earlier. Um, so, uh, or Abbott's store, where we talk about rationing during World War II, mm-hmm. something that is quickly passing from people's memory um, yeah. and, and young children and uh, younger adults don't know anything about learning a lesson on how you use talking about how you used ration cards mm-hmm. and then going into the Abbott store and trying to figure out what you could buy with what you were yeah. actually given is a really amazing educational opportunity hmm. um, and going back to the furniture looking at the pieces are one thing um, what we try and do in some of our special exhibits now not currently in the houses but through collections is provide opportunities where you can actually Look inside, mm-hmm. see the signature of the maker, or see the, yeah. the occasional mistakes. Or what often happened with some of these incredibly graceful pieces is they looked wonderful, but the legs were so graceful they couldn't hold the piece and have snapped mm-hmm. off or broken, been replaced or repaired. Mm-hmm. So often it's what you, what's behind the scene that is 
is equally as interesting as what is presented. You know, right now we're working on, uh, for 2012, a major exhibit on costumes and textiles. Mm. And when you turn the garments inside out is often when you get an entirely different story. And I don't want to use the bad pun of behind the seam, but <laughs> I can't help it. Oh, you've got to put, put that in front <laughs> um, and it, and But that goes for a lot of our collections. So it's the evolution mm. of, uh, also of, of artisanry and craftsmanship mm. in many different forms. Mm-hmm. Now, um, a lot of people don't get this reference because uh, uh, I knew a little bit about Portsmouth Furniture and the makers and stuff like that. But I think I was reading somewhere where the the typical, what was known as the Portsmouth drop panel bowfront Hepplewhite chest ended up being made in Saco, Maine. Did you hear anything about that instead of Portsmouth, New Hampshire? <laughs> it, well, that, wouldn't, that would not necessarily surprise me. Um, there is a and there's a tremendous actually connection of course between Kittery and Elliot and and yes. Portsmouth and for and your shipbuilding and shipbuilding and the and and just I mean if you think about it just to put it in context for your listeners uh, if you leave Strawberry Bank you can walk over a short bridge and be in Maine yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and exactly. go to Warrens and get seafood see yeah. yeah. so so there's much more in common between Salem uh, between Boston Salem Newburyport. Sorry, Boston, Salem, Newburyport, Portsmouth, um, and Kittery. Then you'll find once you go fifty miles west mm-hmm. in terms of styles. What can you say to the listener that's going to get them excited to come here? Oh, that's. <laughs> I'm really I, putting you on the spot. I was say, that's an unfair question because yeah. I, I have uh, one thing I'll say to to your listeners that I'll share is that um, when I was a graduate student, I first heard about what was happening at Strawberry Bank. Can we and, take a pause just one yeah. quick second? Strawberry Bank was named such because of all the wild strawberries on the bank, right? Tec- yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. That the settlers found when they first... and then it was, But then it was shortly thereafter renamed Portsmouth because it was the mouth of the port. But we actually have an early um, John Smith map of the coastline and things like that, wow. too. Now, I just took you on a complete jack here. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry now I'm, I'm trying to... Um, do you want me to go back to, what, to, the, the, <laughs> to the discussion of stra- why I love Strawberry Bank and why people should come? Yeah. Or do you want me to go... No, no, that's where I want you to go, yeah. All right. So um, when I was in graduate school, I was hearing about this place called Strawberry Bank, and I, I was at Boston University, and, and I heard about this place, and... They had done this building, and half of it showed the 1950s, and half of it showed the 1790s in the same building. And they were interpreted in two different, hugely different time periods, but people lived in the house during those time periods. And Mm. I thought, that is brilliant. That was must have been in the, I don't know, the 80s, late 80s? No one was doing anything like that. Mm. Then I heard later about this very early... And this was very early technology at the Shapiro House um, here on site, where there was a whole uh, program of lights that came up and down and audio stories from the Shapiro family talking about living in the house and what it was like to be, uh, you know, a, 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 a Jewish family coming to this neighborhood. And, it, and I heard these stories and I thought, wow, that place sounds amazing. Hmm. And... Um, I've had always had wonderful, wonderful. And for you young folks who might be listening, when your parents say, "What will you do with a history degree?" Um, you can actually do quite a lot, and you won't necessarily make a lot of money. 
but you will enjoy your your life tremendously. Isn't that what's more important? Though? And that's what's yeah. more important. Um, money doesn't hurt. No, yeah. money. But you know, this is I get to li- I get to sit and talk to you in a yeah. building from 1785. I'm digging it. You know, yeah. it, I mean, and I walk I walk out my office and uh, last last. Uh, Last spring, some of the tall ships were here. I can see them from my office door mm. when I walk out, right yeah. on the Piscataqua, like they would have been. You know, it's it's an amazing place to be. And after five and a half years, this is still my dream job. Wow! And I think if you can say How that, many people can say that yeah. after five years. And you know, and it's hard for everybody. The budget cuts in every area. Mm. Ours is no different. Our staff has been hugely reduced. We're all doing four times as much. But I can still tell you at the end of the day that this is it doesn't get much better than this. Wow. I so, love hearing stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that so I say come to Strawberry Bank because there actually is something magical here. You can mm-hmm. go to many different sites and because my background is also in architecture and preservation, you can tell when a place has been what I call manhandled, when it's been mm-hmm. done and overdone and redone yeah. and done, 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 or or if everything's been made to look like a perfect little village. Our buildings are on the original site. Hmm. They're in the original locations. Mm-hmm. If you get if you're one of our summer interns and you stay at Huff House, your address is Horse Lane at Jefferson Street. Okay? <laughs> Was it changed to Carling? Yeah. <laughs> no, although it could have been because yeah. there, we've had a number of different iterations of Strawberry Bank. But um, it it is truly it it is a step back but it's also a step forward i think you look at sites like ancestry.com people want to find yeah. their place mm. in their american story mm-hmm. and we're one of the places where you can do that yeah but you can also play it forward and that's mm-hmm. what we're really about is how you use history to connect with your present and, I like that. that's and that's really cool. what we're trying to do and i think mm-hmm. i uh, judging by uh the reception for our events and our visitors and the programming we're doing, it's really working. We have a very active education program. We work with, um, we know that uh, things like uh, field trips mm-hmm. have been cut drastically from school budgets. Mm-hmm. You know, we work with um, funders who actually will help underwrite the cost of children coming to visit Strawberry Bay. Wow. The letters we get from those children and teachers will just would bring tears to your eyes. Hmm. Um, uh, the naturalization ceremony here again. I am a crier. What can I say? But it will bring tears to your eyes to mm-hmm. see these families from around the world. You know, uh, new American citizens taking the, the you know the oath for the first time with their families by their side, and then spending the day here at Strawberry Bank. Wow. You know. Um, it's it's a very very special place, and you'll we've had uh, recently we had a um, wedding proposal here cool. during a holiday stroll, which is our our. Did you witness this? No, but the uh, the bride to be wrote us all about it. All right, <laughs> <laughs> because she they were in the Aldrich Garden. And during, oh, it's beautiful. Which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And during holiday stroll, you may recall, we have luminaries everywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you get the right dust right. of snow, you've got uh, uh, horse and buggy rides, and you have roving carolers, and you have a bonfire, and 
holiday songs, and each house is decorated for the holidays from different time periods. Say no more, I'm going to Strawberry Man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And so, yeah. so she was surprised. He got down on one knee and proposed to her in a light snowstorm in the arbor. And um, so it has that kind of magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think people feel that, and they yeah. share it, and they take it away. Wow. Wow. Well, that's all very fascinating, and uh, we're going to be back next week, and we're going to talk about your exhibition. So thank you so much. Thank you. And you were great today. And this is Martin Willis with Kimberly Alexander, and we're at Strawberry Bank, that is, and we're signing off. We always appreciate our listeners, so feel free to email us with any ideas, questions, or suggestions to info at antiqueauctionforum.com. As always, we thank you for listening.